0: Everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of Down to Earth. It's Thursday, October 29, 2020. Let me put that in there so that in a couple of years when we're watching this, we will know that 2020 was that year. I, I was saying to my daughter a couple of days ago that in a few years, uh, we will be making jokes about 2020 and saying things like, I'm going to 2020 you, <laughs> or I'm going to pull a fast 20 on you, <laughs> meaning for all the stuff that has happened to us since January 1st of this year. It's just been crazy, actually. It's January 3rd when we woke up and thought we were in the middle of a world war or about to experience a world war because our president went and attacked an Iranian general, and we were like dude, this is not the right time to do something like that. And then they, the drafts websites crashed and we were all like, why would the draft service have a website? We didn't even know stuff like that. Then we found out the draft service has a Twitter page. And we were like, why do you have a Twitter page? And their website crashed as well. They had to issue an official Twitter statement saying what what the draft is and how you don't get drafted anymore and the draft was done away with and we were like huh, that was the beginning of then Australia was burning and we were like is Australia going to be obliterated because the wildfires were just going crazy and the estimate was that at least a billion animals had perished and we were like that's not that, so can't we just take the whole sea around Australia and just dump it on so the, the wildfires will stop burning and 2020 just kept getting better. Then it was Kobe, and we were like, the entire black family was like, no, something is wrong when a healthy, young, 40-year-old man can just disappear like that, can just fall out of an, a helicopter. And tw- the, the, the great hits just keep going. Then we started hearing rumblings of a COVID, of a virus, a virus in China killing people. And we were like, that's not China stuff. They do that kind of stuff over there. And then we were like, wait a minute, it's in Europe we're in Europe. I'm planning a trip to Europe in 2020. Just keep getting better and better. So, and then the racism has been jumping out since 2015 when President Trump went down the escalator and said Mexicans were rapists. It just, it was just getting better. During the last four years, we have seen more incidents of open racism where people have blatantly just reacted in racist terms. And so it has opened the question around systemic racism. And then of course, George Floyd happened. And by this time the pandemic happened, then we discovered that more African Americans and more brown people were dying from from COVID, from the virus, more than any other ethnic group, more than any other racial group, simply because of racism in healthcare. So we began focusing on what is systemic racism? What is structured racism? And when those conversations happened, in the midst of that, here came George Floyd crying for his mama for eight minutes and 52 seconds while a white police officer knelt on his neck and refused him medical care. That started a whole summer of George Floyd. Protest and the summer of strife, as I call it, is what happened. It, 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 was, it was just crazy. It just kept getting, getting better. And so the conversation around racism, when the president was prompted to talk about it because he is the president. So he's supposed to provide the country and provide the people of the country with some sort of guidance and and, and kind of cool the waters and calm us down and reassure us that things are working even when it doesn't look like it's working. He didn't do that. He said there's no systemic racism which just enraged everybody else because even white people were sitting back and saying, wait, just a minute, wait, 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 wait. This is true. And then they started focusing on the coronavirus because white people don't wanna be called out and be told that they're racist. They don't want the focus on them because then it threatens their sense of whiteness and their sense of superiority. So they didn't want the focus totally now on systemic racism. The media shifted the focus onto the coronavirus. And we were like, dang, We kind of just wanted to forget that that was going on because in the midst of finding out about systemic racism and how many black people and black males have been killed or pulled over simply because of the color of their skin, not because they've committed a crime or they were killed in the commission of a crime, but they were killed simply because of the color of your skin and more people coming forward and saying, well, I've been pulled over for no reason. I'm a this, I'm a that. In the midst of that, here comes the coronavirus and we're like, wait, just a minute. It just went right through the heartland and has been circulating ever since. And then more people came out, more and more people. We discovered more instances of racism. So it just kept getting and getting and building and building and building. And in five days, we're going to learn the results of the election. I read one story yesterday where in 2016, nine million people voted in Texas in 2016. This year, the election isn't here yet. We're five days left for the election. And so far, 8.1 million people in Texas have voted. That's unprecedented. So a total of 9 million people voted in 2016. But this year, so far, without the day of elections happening, 8.1 million people have voted. So now we got to ask the question, what on earth is going on? So my question today is, The language of racism and how the oppressed side with the oppressor. All right, so let's put this into perspective for you. So with the recent revelation that Ice Cube rapper, actor, and African-American icon is working with Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner is the president's son-in-law and White House advisor, big time nepotism going on right there. Hire your son-in-law to be right there in the White House with you. Oh, that's not nepotism. Jerry Kushner on a platinum plan. Ice Cube, working with Jerry Kushner on a platinum plan to supposedly enrich the black community. Many are calling into question the legitimacy of Ice Cube's intentions. As a former rapper whose songs often decried white politics, now Ice Cube finds himself aligned with and legitimizing the rugged individualism narrative parroted by the wealthy white elite. So in our democracy and in our capitalistic society, we have often heard of this rugged individualism and you're like, well, what it is. These are the people who tell you to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You hear this a lot from wealthy white people. They will tell you that I made it. So can you pull yourself up by the bootstraps? And this is the rest of us sitting there. You're kidding me, right? I don't even have the boots. So where am I going to get the straps? I don't have the booth, So how am I going to get the straps to pull myself up? Which is exactly the context. The context is how are you going to tell me your family, your generations, your ethnic group, your racial group have systemically and structurally over a period of 400 plus years have disenfranchised my people, my ancestors, the people who look like me, my ethnicity, the people who are my racial group for 400 years. And now in 2020, you're going to tell me to pull myself up by my bootstraps. You're going to tell me that yes, I can make it. You're going to tell me that there's no such thing as systemic racism because it's all in my head. Recently, a couple of days ago on Monday, it was revealed that Jared Kushner said that black people are complainers That is why they're not successful. Largely, black people are not successful because black people are complainers. And if they stop complaining, then they could help themselves. And everybody in America who is black wanted to punch him in the face because not only is he disconnected from the diatribe and disconnected from the discourse of the day, he is flat flat out racist. First of all, he benefits from nepotism because every penny he has earned in the last four years is because his father-in-law is the president. He works actively in the White House, gets a White House salary. Then he gets the perks of the office and he's able to work on his own private interests, use leveraging his position as being in the White House to ensure that those private interests earn more money while he is in the White House, while his father-in-law is the president. But he comes to tell you that the reason that I'm not successful is because I complain. When at the same time, people like the people who, the women who work around him don't have college degrees. They don't have bachelor's degrees. They don't have master's degrees. They don't have experience in the field they're working in. But because they know somebody who knows somebody, they got the position. But he has the nerve to come and tell people that. Do you see what I'm saying? And so you look at somebody like Ice Cube now, who is outside of this narrative. Ice Cube is the very epitome of this narrative. Ice Cube lived in Oakland, California, a place where a lot of the ancestors of black people in California, a lot of them came from the South, from Texas and Louisiana and Western Southern states who were running for their lives to get out of Jim Crow South ended up in California because they thought California was a land of equal opportunity, much to their surprise. When they got there, they were herded into living into certain places because of redlining, right? Here comes Ice Cube, who in his music, he is, he lived the struggle. He is the struggle. He he spoke of the struggle. He sang about the struggle. And all of a sudden now he's siding with the oppressor. He's working with Jared Kushner to come up with a platinum plan for black people. Dude, you are so wrong. I'm sorry for you because there's so much internalized self-hatred inside of you. You really need to go get this dealt with. And black academics all over the country just went like, oh my God. And I know why Cube is going to sit back and say, after a while, I was wrong. I, I should have gone to college because if I had gone to college, I would have been aware. You didn't need to be- go to college for you to be aware that you sided with the oppressor. You sided with the oppressor. Making a few million dollars does not obviate you from the fact that you are still oppressed. If you look through history, you will find that there were always people, one or two, whom the oppressor would ensure that they select to make sure they're successful so the rest of us can say, well, uh, there is no racism because here comes a few successful people who look just like you. That's the very narrative that it is. And you embarrass the rest of us by appearing to step out of the fold and say stuff like that. I don't care who you are, even if you are a Supreme Court justice or if you are a judge, the fact that you can say this kind of stuff decries the very reality that white oppression and white systemic racism exists and white supremacy is a tool of that and is the pinnacle and the underpinning of systemic and structured racism. It's very interesting to me to, to look at the language of racism and what people have to say and what people who are racist have to say about other people. It, uh, look at it this way. I'm Black, right? And I am, uh, I am from the Caribbean, right? So when I go into certain spaces that are dominated by whites, one of the comments that people say that I, I, I am offended by is that you are not like other Blacks. That offends me, what does that mean, right, Or you're not from Detroit, okay, what does that mean? You know initially, I said that well you're you're kind of geographically correct, but then I began to look at it contextually when they say you're not from Detroit, they're trying to tell me that what they're pick and choosing their oppressed, they're picking and choosing their victims. Don't pull that with me. I'm not the one for that. Do you see what I'm saying? So so the narrative, the narrative continues about the divide and conquer ideology that was part of white supremacy and part of colonialism, which is divide the people so you can effectively conquer them. And if they're divided, if you rise up one group or raise up one group against the other, then you have them conquered. Then you can control them. That is what we mean when we say the oppressed side with the oppressor. Because no matter your, the color of your skin, dictates what part of the society you fall in. And in the large scheme of things, you could have five hundred billion dollars. You are still going to be oppressed. And here's how: you don't walk around with a sign in the middle of your forehead that says, "I am Jay Z. I am worth five billion dollars." You're driving a car, the police flash their lights and pull you over. You're still just a black man. You go into a hospital to have a baby, as Serena Williams found out. You're still just a black woman. doesn't matter that you're a 20-time tennis champion. doesn't matter that you're married to a white man who is a billionaire. doesn't matter that your net worth and what is the zeros in your bank account outmatch anybody else who works for that hospital system. You're in there. The color of your skin denotes your place in society. Ice Cube should have taken a page out of his book. He's completely lost. He has lost it. It's not just him. It's Kanye West. And it is... uh, What's his name? What's the other one's name? 50 Cent. They're identified. They appear to be influential amongst Black people. So they're selected to come and repeat a narrative. And they are siding with the oppressed. We like to think that you got paid a lot of money to betray your people. But isn't that what kind of what... Harriet Tubman was fighting against you. If she were alive today, what do you think she, she wouldn't have any use for you guys? Because you're sellouts. Ice Cube is a sellout. 50 Cent is a sellout. Kanye West, I have no use for him. He's a sellout. I don't care about his bipolar status. He's a sellout. You're a sellout when you side with the oppressor over the oppressed. If you can sit down and say you are working on a plan, first of all, the plan that Ice Cube has come forward—I haven't seen it, in all fairness, because I discredit it, because it was not a f- plan that was achieved or worked out or or consummated with black academics and black policymakers all over the country. He did not consult the black leadership politically. He didn't ask the mayors of cities across the country. He didn't ask the doctors and the healthcare practitioners across the country. He didn't ask black social workers and he didn't ask black professors in universities, what are the issues facing black America since he doesn't think that they exist. And since he doesn't think, obviously he's saying that they don't affect him. He's deluded into thinking that, and he's completely delusional. Because he doesn't walk around with a sign on his head that says, hey, I am Ice Cube. I'm working on a plan with Jared Kushner. Don't arrest me. Hey, you go into the hospital for a blood pressure check or you pass out. Hey, I'm Ice Cube. I work with Jared Kushner. Don't oppress me. It's amazing to me how much the Stockholm Syndrome exists. That you actually look at the context of the day and you say to yourself, well, you know, maybe I am... going to side with them it's internalized self-hatred it's 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 you don't like you are not liking the way you are projected through their eyes and their lens of racism and oppression and you don't like how it looks and lands on you so you say maybe if i get close to them then i can show them i'm not that black you move into a gated community with a golf club and you are going to prove to them that everybody in your family has been the doctors for the last three generations. So you're going to socialize with them and show them that you you shop at the same places they shop. You attend the same events they t- attend. What you're doing is you're in practicing internalized self-hatred. You're telling them that I don't like the way that I look. That's a subliminal message. So I'm going to befriend you as much as possible. It's just like a, a black man who tells, told his son that he should only date white women. I had to ask someone that. I said, you seriously did that? You didn't tell him to date who you told him to date what? I said, why? I said, give me the reasoning for it. I said, tell me why. I said, that's internalized self-hatred. You are telling your son to hate himself in the skin he's in and the context that he's in and that a white woman is better than him. I said, watch out what's going to happen. I said, he's going to be jacked up at some point in his life because you have ruined his sense of identity. I said, even if you feel that way, you should not pass it on to the next generation. Because like I said, then you are the oppressed siding with the oppressor. I said, that's Stockholm syndrome. You're validating their claim that they're better than we are. That relationship didn't go anywhere. no, Because look at the viewpoints. He's telling his kids that and I'm affirming my children in their own skin. So, so what would you think of my children? They look like me. So what do you think? What do you think? Is that how you is that what you would tell my children? Do you understand what I'm saying, guys? We're looking at this and we're siding with the oppressor. We're actually validating them by saying, you are right in how you perceive us, you are right in how you treat us. You are right in oppressing us. That's what we are saying. Our ancestors didn't run away from Jim Crow and slavery for us to side with the oppressor. They started to pass the torch onto us. They have passed the baton onto us for us to be free. you got to understand how white supremacy and white oppression works. They're constantly looking for people to identify whom they can pass their message on. No, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. I kid you not. <laughs> There's a guy who had children, I know, who had children with a white woman. He never married her. I don't know why. And I asked him, Why? I said, You were married to a black woman. Why didn't you have children with them? He thought that having children with white women would make his children better and they wouldn't be subject to the racism. I said, but you're a black person. Your children are not going to come out looking like their mother. They're not going to look white. What has their experience been? Mom's the word. Jacked up is what his experience has been. A complete failure because he raised them for a world that does not exist for them to live in a world where in the context of that world, they're walking around in their black skin. So regardless of what he was trying to tell them, the society's messaging is that you're still black, so you're worthless. So regardless of what he thought, he could change their diatribe and he could change the course of their life. It didn't work. This is some serious stuff. Have you ever seen a black man married to a white woman, how he's just kind of cowed into existence? Like he just looks like he wants to disappear all the time. Yeah, he's cowed because the constant narrative is that black men are worthless. They're this, they're that. Don't get me wrong. There are some issues with black men, but why are those issues more magnified than the issues with poor white men too? White men have issues. White men abandon their children too. The, uh, otherwise, there wouldn't be family courts filled with white men who don't pay child support. White men beat up their wives and girlfriends just the same. Just recently, we had a case here in Michigan. A girl left, his, left her boyfriend and he pursued her and shot her up and her, her cousins. White men do the same things where they don't pay child support. In fact, rich white men don't pay child support just the same. They transfer their assets, they devalue their assets so they're not worth anything and they don't pay child support because they're not going to. They curse women. She's a bitch, she's a this, she's a that when she leaves them. Just the same. But you don't see that magnified and played out. The messaging is that I am the white man. I control the narrative about what being powerful and what being a man is. I determine your outcome based on how I practice and what I say and how I direct narratives and direct scenes around you. It's crucial that we understand that because we're in a time period of change. We're changing and the narrative is going to change. Somebody on my Facebook page asked me that question yesterday, why vote? Is it gonna I said it will change because we're going to insist that it changed. We're not gonna sit back and go back to the days where a white police officer can place his knee on a black man's neck for eight minutes and fifty-two seconds. If if that black man were killing someone or so on, you it still is humane for you to hold them because you're the law, you can you know disable them by using a taser. A white man in a similar situation does not get the same treatment. We gotta level the playing field here. Just like during the pandemic, people lost their jobs, black and white alike, but white people were rehired and black people were not. It's part of structured racism. We saw that with the pandemic, that black people who lived in certain communities and who lifetime and generations lived in in certain communities did not survive COVID because they didn't have access to healthcare, they didn't get regular checkups. So their comorbidities or pre-existing conditions contributed to the likelihood that they would have died. Black people showed up in emergency rooms and complained about symptoms similar to COVID and were sent home with Tylenol or acetaminophen. White people complained about the same symptoms were immediately ushered into the ICU and placed on a ventilator so they could live. Structured racism that determines that where people live and where people work, where people live determines where they work, where people live determines what access to fresh food and vegetables, what sorts of transportation are available, what kind of air pollution is in the atmosphere. That's structured racism. And the idea that Ice Cube, who grew up in Oakland, California, could side (laughs) with the oppressor is ludicrous. Are you all hearing me? And black men who are listening to this should not disparage against black women who are calling this out. You should not side with with Ice Cube and 50 Cent because they do not represent your interests because you in your black skin driving your Dodge Charger or whatever you drive down the street gets flagged and pulled over and you're hauled off to jail. The difference between you and Ice Cube is going to be Ice Cube can call a lawyer tomorrow morning. You can't. So you're going to languish in jail, whereas he's going to call a lawyer and get out of jail within three days. A white man doesn't even get to see jail in Ice Cube's position. In fact, he doesn't even have to be white not to see jail. That's the difference between you and Ice Cube. So supporting him is ludicrous because he doesn't represent your interests. Under Trump's uh, tax plan that is further decimating the country and is going to make the country poorer, because you're not collecting enough taxes to run the services. Trump didn't understand that. Trump is not a person who sees into the future. Trump is a person who sees the here and now. The here and now is that rich people, his rich friends get money back in their pockets, including himself and his family. So as long as the money came back to them, then I guess it's okay, right? Isn't it? That's how he looks at it. So he's not looking long-term, long-term. That's for the thinkers. There are, and he refers to people who are thinkers as idiots. Because all they're looking at is political gain. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So, the, the, and, you know, it's important to talk about these things because we can't stop. Because even after the elections are over and all the ballots are counted, and the Electoral vault College has spoken, which should be abolished, by the way, and even after that is over, the conversation around racial oppression the conversation around opposing the system of racism that has caused structured racism and systemic racism, that conversation has to continue. That conversation has to continue because effective meaningful change must take place. We're a nation of diverse people. We're a nation, the wealth of which was built on the backs of Black Africans who came from Africa and who were enslaved That's where our wealth comes from. We need to look at reparations and look at replacing wealth and ensuring that everybody within these borders has access to healthcare and education and fresh water and running water. That's the very least, healthcare, running, running water, and education. Everybody should get a college degree. Even if college is landmarked at the community college level at least, you have studied because if you have studied and been exposed to education, chances are your quality of life dramatically changes. It is no accident that school districts in black communities across the country are poorly run poorly administered and there is never any money in the budget to change anything, not even to improve the physical conditions. It always amazes me driving into a black community and seeing how rundown the school buildings are and then you drive into a white community and the school buildings are pristine. That is racism, that's structured racism. White kids in Utah, in Salt Lake City, Utah could go home with uh, computers and laptops attached to the internet and black kids in poor school districts, people were wondering, how are we going to get to those? That is oppression and racism. Those inequities must stop. Everyone should have equal access to health care. Everyone should have, and we can do it. When, when white people tell you that it can't be done, that means it can't be done. If they're mouthing that it can't be done, it means it can't be done. And you know how we know it can be done? Because the same white people who are saying it can't be done walk away with tax breaks. One guy paid $750 and calls himself a billionaire. But then he got a tax return back of $78 million. He got a tax refund. So yes, we can find the money. If we can pay him back $78 million in a tax refund, we can find the money to provide health care and to provide education and running water to everybody. Everybody. There are some things that must change after this election is over. I believe when people turn 18, you're born in America. When you turn 18, automatically, you should be in, uh, placed on the register on the register to vote list. Aren't people weren't people automatically drafted a few years ago? So what changed? You know what that was? Structured racism, Jim Crow laws. They didn't want black people to have access to vote, so they didn't amend the laws that everyone, when you achieve 18, can vote. We got to change that. We got to change the fact that school districts that are in black communities must have access to funding so that black kids can go to college just, and black and brown kids can go to college just like everybody else. I know we can't force corporations to not look through the veil of color when an applicant is presented to them. All they can see, the people who hire people are racist. They're products of the white supremacy. That's the language of racism. It's coded kind of like you must fill this out, But you are the qualified candidate. But we found a more qualified candidate. The person doesn't even have a master's degree. I was saying the other day that there are so many people on my LinkedIn page who are black who have three degrees. They're not running jack. They're not involved in making policy. They're not doing anything. Why? Not because they're not qualified, because they are not placed in those positions or appointed. Because the system is tacked only to recognize white people as progressing. Only white people progress under the system. The time has come for this to change. And it must change. Because if it doesn't change, we're not going anywhere. we're, We're at a stage where by 2030, The majority of the country will not be white. The majority of the country will be black and brown. Who will be determining policies? It will still be the white power elite. What is that going to look like? The Hunger Games is where we will be headed. The white power elite, who will be fewer and fewer in number, will be determining policy for the majority of the country, who will be black and brown. We're headed strictly for the Hunger Games. And we got to stop this train from running to it. And the way we're going to stop it is to start imposing effective, meaningful change. We got to stop it. We got to get rid of that foolishness where the prisoners are filled with young black men who uh, smoke some weed and end up in jail. But the white kid who does that is now the attorney general or, or, or the U.S. attorney. It's not even in his record. It was just written off, expunged. He was never even arrested. He was just given a verbal warning. But a black kid who does that, his whole future is compromised and cut off. Have you ever seen the story of a young black athlete on his way to glory? And he does something stupid like have sex with a white girl. That's the stupidest thing ever. All of a sudden, it was consensual. But then he told her he didn't want to see her anymore. So she went and screamed rape. His career is over. And you have people saying, well, he raped her. Why are you so caught up in that? What happened when she was giving it up to the white guys in her community? When she screamed rape on them, you you weren't screaming rape in front of everybody. Or the most likely scenario is he had a puff of weed. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he's a drug dealer for smoking weed. But his career is compromised and his future is over. Indelibly, but the white guy who does it, he goes on to being the quarterback for the football team. Inequities in racism. You apply for a mortgage. A white person comes and applies for the mortgage. They're not more qualified than you. In fact, they're working a factory job. They make maybe together 65000 a year, but they qualify for a $250,000 mortgage. Meanwhile, you on your salary alone, you make $80,000 a year and you still can't qualify. <laughs> or when you do, your mortgage payments are higher because they give you a higher interest. So you, you find these communities all over the country, these anomalies, where you're a black professional, but your neighbor works in the factory. He's a welder. And you're as puzzled as God knows because you're like, how oh, in Dickens' name? He's white. He got a better interest rate. Just because he's white. So he can afford to buy the house for $350,000, $400,000. I saw this happen in real time. I've experienced it myself. I remember a few years ago, I worked for a large hospital system here in Southeast Michigan. And my supervisor, who was near retirement, she was a white woman near retirement. She probably, she didn't earn six figures. She did not earn six figures. She didn't earn $100,000 a year. She didn't tell me how much she earned, but she said it was not six figures. Do you know the house she lived in was valued at $420,000 a year? So I asked her, how, come, how did you afford that? How can you afford the mortgage on that? She stopped talking. I said, "Aha! systemic racism. They gave you a better interest rate on that $400,000 mortgage. Where she, she, first of all, she didn't have a college degree. The the other woman, the black woman, who worked in IT, had two degrees. She had a master's degree and a master. And she had a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in information technology. So I, out of curiosity, I just asked her where she lived. On, you know, how much our house is worth? Two hundred and something thousand. Both she and her husband are engineers. And she was like, the two of us need to work that in order to pay the mortgage. I smiled. She too was siding with the oppressor. because she felt like siding with the oppressor would be better for her. It's just like uh, Harriet Tubman had said. Siding with the oppressor was better. That meant that when the time came and the oppressed, the oppressor decided that he was going to dole out favors or if he were going to punish anybody, she didn't want to be caught up with it. I kid you not. Happens all the time. That's the language of racism. You pay higher notes on your credit cards, higher interest rates on your credit card than a white person pays. The white person who is a waitress, who is a server, has a fifteen thousand dollar limit. You're earning eighty-five thousand dollars a year, and you have a five thousand dollar limit. That's that's oppression. That's systemic and st- structured racism. You have to have two degrees to be in the same position that the white person doesn't have a degree. I saw that at the same place I worked. One guy was a chaplain. In order for him to have him be a chaplain there, he had to have a master's degree. The white guy didn't have a bachelor's degree. But he had been there forever. That was the justification. That's racism. Yes, you want to know the name of a place? It was Beaumont Health System. They're as racist as they come. That's racism in healthcare, racism in how they practice, racism in hiring standards, racism everywhere. And it happens, it's systemic because it happens right across the board, right across the country. All these scenarios I've mentioned are not unique. They happen over and over and over again. That's the language of racism. The language of racism is written in deeds that this property should not be sold to anybody who is a non-white. That's the language of racism. The language of racism is no non-white person should sit on the board of directors of this company. That's the language of racism. Non-white persons should not buy these kinds of cars or they should not live in these neighborhoods. Their children should not attend these schools. And here you have people running around jumping up tough. that my son only dates white girls. I know he's embarrassed today, listening to this and hearing this, he's further embarrassed. And I said, where did that come from? Is that how you and your ex-wife, is that how you raise your children? You raise them like that? I said, so what happens when they find out they're black? Because they don't see it right now, but they will see it eventually. What, what will happen to them then? No answer. I said, oh, because you didn't think it through. Okay. So keep on siding with the, oppress, the, the oppressor. See, this is how the divide and conquer language of racism. If we're talking about that. This is how the divide and conquer mythology works, right? When they can get you to think like that, like this man who said his son only dates white girls, when he can, they can get you to think like that, they have effectively divided you. So now they can conquer you. Because he's going to think at the back of his mind that, that the best person is white. The best person for the job, the best person they should be with, the best person to this. That's the language of racism. We see Plato right now in front of our eyes. They thought the best candidate was, was the president who was espousing racist ideology. But they thought he's a showman, he's an actor, he's a businessman. He couldn't run the damn country because he doesn't have it. He doesn't think like that. You have to understand how bureaucracies work and you have to be patient with it and he just couldn't be bothered with it he was into having a party and having a good time he's a showman he thought riding on air force one and showing up at a rally in nebraska in in a in a marine one helicopter hovering over the people to him that's all great and showy he doesn't see that it's oppressive because the people are poor And you riding in like that is not a good look. The optics are not even good for your own campaign. You should have just driven up there in a car. It would have been better. You just step out and look like an ordinary man. Instead, you come out in your warm coat and your expensive gloves projecting an image. And the people lapped it up. Because to them, they can never be that. But one of them is like that. And he plays it and he understands it. Now look at Ice Cube and 50 Cent and what's the other one? Uh, Whatever they are. Kanye. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. And other white people are sitting back and doing this. Like, dude, no, bro. No, you don't want to do that. You you, you don't want to side with that. You don't want to go there. Because as uh, the, the comedian on Saturday Night Live said a few weeks ago, white people should be tried for crimes against humanity for what they have done to humanity for centuries in oppressing people so that they can be wealthy wherever they are in the world you realize that the wealthiest nations of the world are white how did they achieve their wealth by oppressing and subjugating indigenous peoples in their land who coined the word indigenous in the first place Those were the original people who lived there. They're not indigenous. They're not exotic. Those are people who belonged in that land, who owned that land before you got there. Oh, my God. (laughs) Don't let me get started. Who coined these terms? White people. White professors who sit down and grade your papers. And in today's world of social media, right? Once upon a time, they could tell by your name if you were a person of color. Now they just simply go to your, your... They just put your name in Google, go in their Facebook page, and they look at you and they're like, I ain't going to grade this right for them for another one to become another Barack Obama. They're not going to do it. White intellectuals come up with these ideologies and perpetuate them. They pass them on to captains of industry, people who walk through their hallways, and they say, look, when you go to work and you own companies, you don't hire them. Th- them. Language of racism. Blacks. Not black people. Not personifying it and humanizing it by saying black people. Just blacks. So we can say whites too. We're not going to personify and humanize it. I kid you not. In, In other words, in order for things to change, you have to see yourself the way I see you. You have had 400 plus years of dehumanizing me. And seeing me the way your ancestors taught you to see me. So now you're going to hear how I see you. And it doesn't make you feel good. You feel uncomfortable. So you retrieve back into your privilege and your position of power that your whiteness gives you. We're still going to come for you. Because we're not going to have it. You're going to find in the next 10 years, people are going to constantly say, no, we're not putting up with this. We're not going to deal with this. Because, what? Enough is enough. Just this morning, I went to my Twitter page and on there was a quote by a man. It was Time Magazine, the cover of Time Magazine. And it says, guess who is now grown up and able to vote? Guess who they are? The survivors of the Parkland shooting. Remember that, two years ago? Those young people who, a gunman who could buy an AR-15 rifle, He could because he was white. He went into the high school that he used to go to and opened fire on the people in the high school whom he knew and killed many of them. They were all seniors about to graduate from high school. They were sophomores and they were juniors. Guess what? They've grown up. They have been calling for change. And the white establishment, who is oppressive as anything, would not listen to them guess what? They said, all right, they can vote now. Generation C. They said, enough is enough. You won't listen to us because I'm not white, wealthy, and elite. You are not listening to me because I am not, I'm black, poor, and broke. You're not listening to me because I'm the oppressed that your family and your ancestors have been oppressing for 400 years. You're not listening to me because I'm Hispanic and I'm from Puerto Rico, or I'm from Cuba, or I'm from someplace else. So you're not going to listen to me. My my people were trying to swim across the border and you wanted to put snakes in the water for them. They come here and they work as maids and landscape artists. They work in the farms, but you don't listen to them because you don't value them. Okay. So they're like, okay, but we can vote though. 18 to 29 year olds have rushed to the polls. You know what they're going to demand next? Why do I have to fill out a ballot and go drop it off? They're like, that's too much work. Bring the voting to me on my phone so I can click on it and click, I voted. They're gonna change it. Maybe my generation, Generation X, the generation after me, Generation Y. I don't even know what you guys do. You guys just sit back and just, oh, is that what it is? It is what it is. Generation Z are going to make the changes. They, along with the millennials, have determined it's enough. They saw us, they saw their grandparents and their parents fight this battle. They're like, okay, well, we, we got it from here. Generation Z is not going to put up with this. They're going to demand effective, meaningful change and overturn the status quo that determines any time you find a system. I got to go. Anytime you find a system that is going to dictate that one race is superior and another inferior and that system is going to dictate who is oppressed and who is oppressed and who is the oppressor wherever you find that that system will fail and the people will change because nobody is headed for the hunger games we can't afford for the power and the wealth to remain in the hands of a few. Because if the rest of us are majority black and brown, eventually they're going to disenfranchise us, take away our property, take away our rights, and then they're going to put us in camps and put us in the Hunger Games just for survival of their species. That, my friends, is where we're headed. It's called the Hunger Games. Go read the book. And it's got to change before we get there. The language of racism, when Jerry Kushner can stand up and say that black people are lazy and they're complaining he's what he's repeating and reiterating what he grew up hearing his ancestors say he's still telling his generation today that it is okay to be racist and when you have fools who act like coons like ice cube and so on they're total sellouts they've sold out your race you've sold out your parents and your grandparents who ran from the Jim Crow South so they could escape oppression. And you now are in a position and you let them, the oppressed, you let the oppressor still dictate to you after your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents ran from Jim Crow. We're just under a different form of Jim Crow. And you let it happen because they flashed you 30 pieces of silver. You sold out so you're a sellout. My name is Harriet Kimmick. Go to my website, harrietkemick.com, as well as you can find my books on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Thank you so much for listening. This has been down to earth. It's as down to earth as I can get this morning. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy more episodes of my podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed.